Who you with? Who you with? Who you with? Y'all know how we get started on this side. Quick roll call. With my Saints fans, my Falcon fans, my Buck fans, my Panther fans. Whether you keep pounding, firing off them cannons, rising up and yelling out who that. Whatever you do to support your team, I'm just glad that you're here supporting me. I, Nary in the mouth of the South Gray, the one and only host of Point Blank Period. Recorded and coming to you live from the Jansport per usual. On Instagram, underscore mouth of the South. On Twitter, at South Exclusives. Come talk to me. I ain't talking about them Panthers this week because at the trade deadline, they were completely quiet. And I think they should have went out to get a linebacker. They're getting into a grueling part of their schedule where they may feel it's just a tad bit too daunting. But after such a hot start to the season, I would hate to see them give up on a year. And I really wish that they would have made a, a move at the deadline. So for that reason, they're not on the topic list today. But we, we will but we will be talking about the three other teams in the division. But if you Carolina, y'all stick around because I know y'all ain't just come for Carolina. But we're going to start off with what was the biggest, in my opinion, the biggest moment of the weekend. And that was a fight between Javon Williams and C.J. Garner-Johnson. Um, easily the most bizarre yet hilarious moment of the game. I'm sitting back. I, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I missed the Marshawn Lattimore interception because I was still laughing at that fight. And just what happened because it was just funny to me that Wims was running around on Janoris Jenkins, can't just say Jenkins, but on Janoris Jenkins, he peeled off after the play while Chauncey's looking the complete other way. And we, what we know now is a snatching of the mouthpiece and then hits Chauncey in the face. Chauncey looks like, why would you even do that? <laughs> and completely unfazed, and I guess him being unfazed pissed Wims off more and he hit him with two more to the face. And... It's, it's, I don't even think I can do this any justice of describing it. But the fight was just hilarious because after the two-piece, um, Janoris jumps on Wims' back. And it's just crazy. And you find out that Wims went to Georgia. And obviously Chauncey went to Florida. So did Janoris Jenkins, even though he transferred out uh, late. But it's Florida-Georgia week this week. So... Mm, that's what I should play for my vibe of the week. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I might. I might play that. I might play Florida Georgia line. I am. I had climb back by J Cole playing and queued up. I'm gonna play cruise by Florida Georgia line. Um. Excuse me. So, but it's just funny to me because after the fight, everybody's laughing. The interception happens, and then we carry on with the game. But then after the game, Wims comes out. He tells Bears officials that he got spat on. I don't think that's the case because I'm looking at the video of him getting his mouthpiece snatched by Chauncey, which happened earlier, which I think is the spark of the fight. And I don't see where Chauncey could have spat on him. I'm watching his head. His head doesn't go forward. They're in a, you know, in a in a helmet, so you would think that it would have to go forward. I just think he got his mouthpiece snatched. And ultimately, I think that Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is an elite trash talker. And he, he, he gets under your skin like a splinter, whether it's reminding Tariq Cohen that he's vertically challenged, making Michael Thomas lose his mind, or now snatching Javon Williams' mouthpiece. Now, obviously, Michael Thomas losing his mind was bad for the Saints because he had finally got healthy. And after, uh, after that situation, he ended up getting a hamstring. But the point is that Chauncey knows how to get under people's skin. But let's take Williams' claim as valid. 
for a second and just follow the logic. Because it's not just the video that has me questioning if this is the tr if this is the truth. Spitting on somebody is easily one of the most disrespectful things you can do in life. I'm not even gonna sit here and lie to you. I never get spat on and have it go down like no, not at all. It's not going down like that if me, especially during COVID. You gonna spit on like come on man. This is this is especially the wrong time to have bodily fluids get around people and then to purposely do it. If that's the case, Chauncey deserved to get punched in his face. But if you ask me, whims, you, you don't get no points for, for, for sneaking them, though. You're not getting any, any points for that. And I know that's probably not the, the way we should look at it or whatnot. But if you're telling me I got to get even with the guy, you going to sucker punch him? Because I tell you right now, if somebody spit on me, I'm not waiting to catch him slipping to just do a little sucker punch. I'm not. He waited till Chauncey's back was turned. And then he went for the mouthpiece first, which is a big part of it. And this isn't just me trying to rag on whims for the record. I ultimately, I really do think that if he did get spat on, that he would have reacted immediately. But instead, he went to the bench and he sat there for 10 to 11 minutes thinking about getting the mouthpiece back and punching Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. I don't know about that. Because when you see it, that snatching motion at his first is him going for the mouthpiece. And you're telling me that if you did wait for that long... You got spat on, you got your mouthpiece snatched. And you were more concerned with getting even about the mouthpiece? Somebody spat on me and I waited. I'm not worried about the mouthpiece. And it could just be the same, be the fact that me and Wims would not react to that situation the same. But I don't think most people, if got spat on and their mouthpiece snatched, because we know the mouthpiece snatching happened, I don't think that they're more concerned about that mouthpiece. I just don't. That was just very important to him, and I don't get why. I tell you like this. If somebody spits on you in a football game, you can either punch him right then and start a fight, which I think is completely understandable. You may get suspended, but I'm not mad at you. That's one of those things where the team may pay your fine, one of those type of deals, because you don't spit on another man. You don't spit on anybody. I don't want to make this a man-on-man -man thing. You don't spit on anybody. That's telling somebody they're lower than you. Um, You can either Odell versus Josh Norman, the guy, which isn't a popular opinion, but you get spat on. I don't want to hear anything about player safety. I understand just losing your mind if somebody were to spit on you. Or you can wait till after the game and say, I'm going to see this dude with no helmet on. But he did none of that. He decided to go for that mouthpiece first. And I know I keep harboring on that, but that's important to me. And I really do think that if you got spat on, not only are you not waiting, but when you do finally attack, your first thought is not to make sure, hey, let me get this guy's mouthpiece because he got mine. That's just not what I think somebody would do. So the video plus the reaction just don't add up to me. It does not. I don't think Chauncey spat on that man. Point blank period. I'm sorry. But let's keep going with Saints news. Let's talk about... Actually, no, I want to I back it up. I'm going to talk about the trade deadline, the Quan Alexander trade, and Tack McKinley not getting traded after Vibe of the Week. And we're going to keep it in game action. So we're going to talk about game action with the Bucks versus the Giants. And that was a controversial ending. And Joe Judge was upset about it. Controversial as it comes. So I give my view on what happened. When looking at the play, my first thought wasn't about the P.I. My first thought was, damn, Daniel. I just had a gut feeling that he was going to mess up that two-point conversion. That they weren't going to get it after what was a great throw to Tate. 
you have to add, I have to acknowledge that it was a great throw, but I can also acknowledge that Trevor Lawrence is going to New York and there's a great chance that Justin Fields will as well. Yes, the Jets and the Giants. Because plays like this happen. Where after you have such a great play, Danny Dimes, you know, then he shows, I don't know, Danny Nickel, Danny Penny. I don't know. Danny Chick, uh, what's it called? Chuck E. Cheese coin. I don't freaking know. But the dude was terrible on that play. Because what was ran on that play. This <laughs> is the thing. Like I said, it's going to it's gonna be a, a, I knew it was going to be a mess up. And what it came down to was Daniel Jones messing up that play because that's a timing route to Deion Lewis and he was wide open it came down to whether or not Winfield interfered or not and I'll get to that in a second but it should have never come to that because he was wide open Daniel Jones just was late on the throw and that's the reason that Winfield even had a chance to get in there this play or this game should have came down to overtime or Deion Lewis dropping the ball point blank period there's not even a chance to make a potential throw if Daniel Jones or make a potential breakup if Daniel Jones just throws the ball on time. Great play, I guess, by Winfield getting there. He shouldn't have been close. You know, and that's why they lost, you know. He had two interceptions that were just atrocious throws. Um, he had other bad throws. Arian said those plays cost the Giants the game. Like I said, those interceptions uh, coupled with those passes that he just missed. Look, the Bucks play a slightly better quarterback, and that's a loss. They can't afford to go in there and play like that against New Orleans this week. They cannot. But let's get to the controversial call. It was definitely close. Um, in real time, they threw the flag and they picked it up, and that was my issue. Because look, looking at the replay, I don't think it was P.I. I think Winfield did a pretty good job of getting his head around at the last minute. Uh, the ball hit his hand. But here's the thing. I say that on replay. The, the refs did not have the benefit of replay. And this was a super bang, bang, close call. And they threw the flag. And I strongly believe that there is nothing that was on that play in real time. Mind you, I'm saying real time. So you can look at the replay. You can go look at that. But they only had what they saw immediately. I don't think there's anything that you can say to pick up the flag. If it was never thrown, if the flag was never thrown, you would still have some people who were upset because it was that close. It was that bang, bang. But I wouldn't have anything to say about it. I think he might have got there uh, slightly early. But he got his head around and the ball hit him in the arm. But regardless, I think it's too close to pick up that flag, in my opinion. Point blank, period. But that's how I stand on that. They got the win. It shouldn't even have been that close. I had no plans on watching that game, and then I realized that it was actually close in the second half. So, like I said, a slightly better quarterback takes down the Bucs in that game because they're not even getting as many opportunities. But the Bucs can't, and I don't think they will play another game like that this year, or at least they won't play like that this week against New Orleans. The stakes are too high, and I think they recognize that. There is a chance that they slept on the Giants. I couldn't blame them, but at the same time, you shouldn't sleep on anybody. But I, they can't play like that again and hope to get away with it. But now let's get in the vibe of the week. Like I told y'all, I was going to go J. Cole, but talking about Georgia versus Florida made me switch it up. And I'm going to go uh, Florida-Georgia line cruise. <laughs> yeah, when I first saw that bikini top on her, she's popping right out of the South Georgia water. 
Welcome back to Point Blank Period. I am Darian, the mouth of the South Gray. Man, that song used to be one of my favorites. I'm not going to lie to you. I used to love singing the song. Uh, and no, I'm not going to sing because I did that last week. But like I said, let's get into this Saints trade for Quan Alexander. Woo, the Saints don't get LSU players. That's been a cry forever. Forever, forever, forever. Forever, forever, ever, forever, ever. The Saints fans have been frustrated by seeing LSU players be passed on by the Saints and go elsewhere and just play and show out. The Saints didn't have any. We sitting here getting happy that Will Claps just coming on and off the team. So the Saints not getting LSU players, a statement brought up again when the Saints selected Cesar Ruiz over LSU linebacker Patrick Queen. And I was a part of these fans. Ain't no shame in feeling that way. And you know the Saints thought they needed linebacker help because they brought in Nigel Bradham. Word was they would have picked Kenneth Murray, but they didn't pick pick excuse me, they did not pick Patrick Queen. And that is because he didn't fit the mold allegedly. I don't know. That's what they say. But now the Saints have responded to those claims of not getting LSU players in a major way. At the trade deadline, the Saints have traded for Quan Alexander from the San Francisco 49ers. And I like this trade for a trio of reasons. Number one, I like the play. I think his athleticism definitely played a role in the pickup. He's a good sideline, a sideline player whose athleticism keeps him from being out of a lot of plays. You'd like to see his discipline and definitely his tackling be better for sure. But he's a good linebacker. I think that he helps the team in coverage with his athleticism, but he'll also fill the run holes, which is something that Peyton brought up. And I thought it was interesting that Peyton highlighted his run defense when asked about his coverage. Saying, I don't think he's just a coverage guy, but he can also run and hit, which I think is good. You see, you Nick Underhill actually had a great um, film study on it, and I'll bring it up right now and, and afterwards. He brought up a film study on how he defended bootleg plays and rollouts and misdirection, which is something the Saints have struggled with this year mightily. So that's already an upgrade, which brings me into number two. I was asking for a linebacker. If you remember last podcast, I was talking about what I wanted at a trade deadline. And I talked about some safeties, but the person I really discussed at length was Miles Jack. That's okay. No Miles Jack. You get Quan Alexander. I'm all right with that. Uh, I would have preferred Miles Jack, honestly. But, I mean, Quan Alexander is still a, a what I think is a really good linebacker and will be a, a significant upgrade. Peyton mentioned him 
playing the wheel position, which is Alexander Zaloni's spot. And that really shouldn't come as any surprise to anyone because they weren't trading for someone to replace DeMario. I think Anzalone has been serviceable. And don't get me wrong, he's not by far not the biggest problem on the Saints defense thus far. But it's definitely a position that could be improved on. And I want to just read what Nick Underhill said because I think it was a great way of summing it up. Um, dang, what happened to it? I don't remember, but he said this one, this quote right here that I thought was was good. He said that while everyone spoke about the secondary or defensive line as the spots to upgrade, the Saints decided linebacker was one of the areas that need help, which makes sense. The players in the secondary are all talented but underperforming. I get that. I get that feeling like, okay, Marcus Williams, he's better than this. Marshawn Lattimore, he's better than this. Anzalone has been decent. I don't think he's better than what he's giving us right now. I think this is what Alex Anzalone is. And that's not bad. That doesn't make him a bad linebacker. I just don't think there's anything special about him. And that's the, the highlighted, highlighted quote that I wanted to write, but I couldn't quite find it. And that's okay. But basically saying that I don't think that Alex Angeloni is somebody who is especially special. Here we go. This is exactly the quote I was looking for. Angeloni is not a bad player. He's solid across the board, but hasn't done anything exceptional throughout his career since flashing some range as a rookie. You know, Alexander has a little bit more upside and brings some dynamic elements that Anzalone doesn't provide. I think that's a great way to sum it up by Nick Underhill, but that's not of any surprise. If you're a Saints fan, you know about Nick Underhill and you know that he always does things like this. So that's just how I feel. Let's look at it. Let's look at it. Let's look at it. I envision him as an upgrade over Anzalone, as I mentioned earlier. So for Anzalone, he has on a season 30 tackles, two tackles for a loss. Quan has 30 tackles, three tackles for a loss, and a quarterback hit in just five games as opposed to seven. I think this is a move that helps with some underneath the zones and coverage and hopefully gives the pass rush a little bit more time to get there. But the corners playing better will be a huge role in that because a lot of the pressure from the pass rush is stymied by the fact that the ball is out instantaneously. And then my last reason for liking this was the compensation. The Saints get him for a conditional fifth-round pick in Kiko Alonso. That's two players who are coming off of injury. Kiko had an ACL tear last year, while Quan is coming off of a high ankle sprain suffered in week five. Quan Alexander is a better player than Kiko Alonso. And the conditions for the fifth-round pick is playing time. And I don't know how much PT that the Saints, you know, will give him. But the Saints can control it in, in a sense to where it could end up being essentially like a player swap because a fifth-round pick is late anyway. And I think that's a win for the Saints. You get Kiko Alonso giving up for Quan Alexander, who definitely has more upside. The only negative is that money. And I know that's a lot of people thinking. that That's where hesitancy comes in. It comes in two places. Number one, that money. Because I know a lot of people are sitting there thinking, man, where is the money going to come from? Because he's good for this year, but next year he's owed 13.4 mil. The year after that is 13.5 mil. And the Saints cap is already stuffed enough. But I've learned over my years to never question Mickey Loomis. If there's a way to do it, he'll find a way. If not, they're not gorilla, glue, gorilla glued to Alexander's contract. 
they can move on with limited funds, you know? So I think that another thing that has to be some hesitancy, as I mentioned the tackling or whatever, but that's that's there. It's his injury history. That lines him right up with guys like Sheldon Rankins, Kiko Alonzo, Alex Anzalone as guys who can play well when healthy, but you don't know how long they'll be healthy. And this isn't exactly the mold of player you wanted. In these three consecutive years, he's had a torn ACL, he's had a torn pectoral, and now he has an ankle sprain that's kept him out for multiple weeks. I just hope that he can stay healthy, and if he can't, he won't be here next year. But the Saints are all in for 2020, and I think it's important that they do in some way ensure that he can stay healthy, which isn't really them, so maybe he just needs to ensure. You just got to hope. <laughs> There's no insur- insuring here, no insurance policy. You just got to hope that he can stay healthy for this year at least. So we probably won't see him this week against the Buccaneers, but we will see him the next week against his other former team in week 10, the San Francisco 49ers. So the Saints have answered your, your questions, your request of saying, can we get an LSU linebacker, please? Deion Jones, Devin White, and now the man who started the trend has returned to the division. And Quan Alexander is a saint in the NFC South. Is truly the division of LSU linebackers. Go Tigers. Coach O boys, man. You got to be excited for your guys in the league when your team's looking how they looking this year. It's all right, though. I'm still, I'm still kind of high off my championship victory. But let's get into the last trade deadline storyline. And that's Tack McKinley, who has made it through the trade deadline. And on Monday afternoon, Tack said, I'm not getting traded, guys. <laughs> he shut down all those talks. And he broke the news that he wasn't getting traded in the Falcons. He broke the news that the Falcons were not trading him and they have actually declined a handful of offers. And that's the part that kind of gets me because I'm looking, I'm like, y'all declined all the offers? Y'all turned down offers for Tech? It makes me want to say the Falcons might see him as a part of the future, but that's also perplexing because they are more than likely getting a new coach this year. So to say they would take no less than the fourth round pick for a guy who has been viewed as a, as a bust, it's like, man, you wouldn't just take anything to get some draft capital, maybe? So you decline offers for a guy who hasn't lived up to his first round billing through the first three years of his career when you're two and six, so you don't have much of a present. Your interim coach is most likely not going to be around next year, so your future is cloudy. I would have gladly accepted a fifth, sixth round pick for Tack McKinley. And there's a decent chance that the, the head coach next year just simply will not want Tack McKinley around, even though he's shown some signs of improvement prior to his injury, which I think he was actually on the way to proving the fact that the Falcons should keep him. Who knows if that's enough for a new coach, though? This is an odd decision, but it likely means that Blank likes Tack or values Tack highly as a guy who may be on this team going forward. My only question is, how could you possibly assure that? Especially when he said, when asked about if Matt Ryan will be on the team, he said it's not up to him. But Tack McKinley, you decided to be bougie and say I'm not going to take any less than a fourth round pick? I don't know to me. I can't, I can't really get down with that. But... 
Who needs Adam Schefter when you got players breaking reports, right? Tack McKinley told y'all, I'm not getting traded. And they declined all these offers for me. Thankfully, we got a report later that it was because they wanted a fourth round pick and nothing less. But yeah, that's been enough for me. Not too long of an episode to the next time y'all hear me run it back. Point blank, period.